Well, good morning. I'm back. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Two weeks ago was an accident, but this, this, this is meant to be, I think. So grab your Bibles. Uh, grab your Bibles or your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on. We're in John chapter 9. Uh, Glenn will be back next week. He's going to go to John chapter 8. Um, I know we're a little bit out of order, but uh, I'd prefer to preach this one and let him have the other one. So we're going to go forward with this. I know we just got done. What? That last song, it hit me as I was sitting there. I was like, okay, we live in the reality of Easter every day. And I know we think it was like once a year Easter. No, 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 every day. We live in the reality of a resurrected Jesus, which means the things that we face, he has victory. If, he has, if he's resurrected and he's alive, which he is, there's always hope. There's always hope. So whatever that thing is that you just feel like, oh, this is too big. This is too big. God's like, are you kidding me? That's my hobby. So hang in there. Maybe, maybe right now you're on Friday, but Sunday's coming. Isn't that great? Easter is amazing. And so we live in the reality of it. So let's pray as we jump into this passage. God, thank you. Um, as I say, every time we get together and I get to teach, just thank you for your word. Something that you felt the need to make sure we had. You penned it for 1,500 years. And God, you've kept it. You've kept it true. It's reliable. And it's the thing that you've given us that we might hear your voice, decipher the thoughts that we have so it's according to your truth. But God, keep us humble. I pray, God, help me. Help me teach in a way that it draws people to you. Grace and truth both elevated extremely well. Um, God, I don't want to jump into just truth or just grace, just the epitome of grace and truth together. And so God, give us humility to receive and grace to live out. We pray this in your name. And everyone says, amen. Hey, you remember that day, for those of your parents, uh, maybe you're not parents, but you were there for that day, when, when that little one decided that was the day they're going to go for it, okay, before they're just kind of pulling themselves on the table, and you're like, oh, that's cute, and you get a couple pictures of that, but that's great. I'm talking about the day they, far, they start to go for their first steps. You know what I'm talking about? And that's when all of those parents, now back in the day you had to have these huge camcorders. It's like you, jump, you have to clamp it on and you're holding, it's like this big thing. Actually had a tape inside. You're like, what's a tape? If, if, you're, if you're like 20, you're like, what's a tape? Okay, so, but it's like these big cameras and massive lights. Now everyone just pulls out their phones and we, we want to be there for the moment. The moment they, they start to go. So the little drunk little monkey starts to go for it. They're like, ah, oh, then you're like, you're so excited. And they take one step. You're like, and then you start screaming, applauding because of one step. Then two, then three, then four, then they fall. And everyone just goes, yeah. Now here's just try. I was thinking about this earlier. Just, okay. You ever, you ever notice how they fall? It's like they get it and then they go, I can't go anymore. And then they just plop right on their butt. Now guys, that is a miracle of Jesus. And here's an, here, try it. Just go home and try to fall down like that and get up afterwards. You're not. You'd be like, I'm good right here. Forever. I can't get up after that. But we go, we go nuts. I don't pull out my camera now. Like when Tyler and Dylan, when they're going to get out of bed, they're 11 and 9. As they're getting ready to get up, it's like, wait, wait, wait. I want to record this. And every time they go walking, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're doing so good. You're doing so good. They're like, Dad, shut up. I know you're doing real good. But can you imagine that first, the first time they tried? Three or four steps and then they fall. Can you imagine me saying something like, seriously? That's it? Four steps? I'm supposed to take a video of this? 
Come on, slacker. If you're going to walk, then let's go for a marathon. Let's go for a run. You and me, we're going to go for a two-mile run. First time ever walking, let's go for a run. Guys, you would think I'm the worst father in the world. And you'd be right, because that's what I did. I'm just, I didn't do that. But you would think, okay, you're expecting too much. Because why? It's a process. But you ever notice how often we do it? We do this to each other in our process of following Jesus. It's like once you pray the prayer... You better have all the truth figured out. And if you don't have all the truth figured out, I'm done with you. You're a heretic. I'm not patient with you in the process, even though Jesus has been patient with me in the process. We're so quick to find out who we can argue with and debate with that we're not trying to find out who it is that we can walk along with in the process of trying to figure this thing out. Guys, I remember when I used to think that the purpose of prayer was to try to convince God to change his mind. So you just nag him. Just dad, dad, please, please, God, please, please, please. And just knocking him on the forehead. Come on, come on, please, 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 please. And then you use this. This is the big word. In the name of Jesus. And you're like, that does it. That changes the whole game. You know how freeing it was to finally get to the point where I, as I'm looking through scripture, I feel like God's like, dude, the purpose of prayer is not to try to convince me to do what you want. The purpose of prayer is to get you in line with what I'm doing. And I went, for years, I just kept trying to convince God, come on, change what you're doing so that it affects me positively. And it's like, God has to constantly remind me, it's less about you, Brian. In fact, you are mine. You gave yourself up for me and I'm using you however I want to for my purpose. Guys, when is the last time you disagreed with anything in the book? You're like, oh, no, I'm not going to answer that. This is when God zaps the whole church with lightning. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Guys, there's times I read the, I read the word and I sit there and go, I don't like what it just said. Why? Because it's confronting me in what I will naturally do and calling me to live a life that is so not the norm for me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when I'm supposed to love my wife, I'm supposed to give up myself for her benefit. You ever had one of those disagreements where at the, like in the middle you're like, I'm going to win this time. This one, I just want to win once. Jesus, fill me with all the knowledge of the Trinity that I might win one time. But in that moment, I'm, I'm disobedient. That God has said, no, 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 you, you love your wife. Like, I love the church, and I gave myself up for her. And that's what I'm supposed to do. And that goes against me, my natural ways. So guys, if you can't re honestly remember the last time that you were confronted by something in the scriptures and you disagreed with it? Are you really approaching it honestly? I wrote, this, I wrote this question down this morning. If the Bible always agrees with you, there's a problem. If the Bible always agrees with you, there's a problem. So when you read it going, yep, that's it. Every single verse, every single word, there's a problem, not with the word, but with what our idea of truth has become that we can automatically think that our perspective and our agenda and our natural reaction to things is the exact same way that God will react to things his way. 
Well, he's going to agree with me because I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is in me by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, because I respond this way, God does. And yet God in Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I am nothing like you. So guys, we have to look at the Bible. So if the, if the Bible always agrees with you, there's a problem that maybe you've stopped in the process and your view of truth, you actually think is God's view of truth because you're saying, God, you better agree with me or else as if he's in heaven going, oh, no, no. Oh my gosh, I'm so scared of Brian. What will he do? So we're gonna look in this passage. We're gonna go as quick as we can in the next 21 minutes. Ready? Chapter nine, verse one. As he passed by, he, this is Jesus, saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What kind of a stupid question is that? Think about it. <laughs> just think about it for just a second. Now, I, and I get it. I understand that in this day, if you were healthy and wealthy, you were blessed by God, you were living righteously. That's the idea. That's their theology. And if there was pain or problem or some kind of, some kind of physical problem here especially, then there must be sin in your life. So someone, have, someone must have sinned in order for the bad things to happen. It's kind of like the junky little theology that maybe many of us have accepted that God made the bee, the devil made the stinger. So all the good thing is God. And then the stinger, God's like, I don't know what to put on him. Oh, Satan comes along. I'll put a stinger, bam. And so they came together and made this bee because God makes the good, the devil makes the bad. If there's something bad in your life, we go, there must be sin in my life. And here in this passage, you're seeing the theology of the day but what a dumb question if the guy is blind from birth how could the guy have sinned in order to become blind unless he like kicked mama's bladder too hard he's like i don't want this i don't like this stuff in the umbilical cord i hate this so he kicks mom and god goes sinner blindness what a dumb question but what if the disciples asked Jesus the question in earshot of the man? And how often do you think that he had thought that? Because this is the normal teaching of the day. This was what was normal. And so if all of a sudden here's Jesus and his disciples, and he, just picture him, he's just sitting right there and his disciples say, hey, who sinned? This guy or his parents that he's born blind? Now watch Jesus' response. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I don't like that verse. I don't like that truth. Why? He was blind that the works of God might be displayed in his life. And I sit there and I go, that doesn't seem fair. Right? I mean, don't, don't, don't look at me like that. Don't this judge look. No, think about it. That doesn't seem fair. But I, I've said it before. I keep saying I live by it. Fair ended in the garden. Guys, we don't want fear, we want grace. And how is it that I could look at a person and say, person's blind, go, oh God, you messed up. That person's not what he or she should be. And God's sitting there going, I never say oops. Every single person is fearfully and wonderfully made. And that this thing that he's having to deal with, quote unquote, that's so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. And the things that are tough for me to go through, the things that I have to fight against, those things, that maybe I have some insecurity, or there's, maybe there's some physical thing that I have to deal with. Maybe God's saying, I'm using that for my purpose, that my work might be displayed in your life. Maybe that thing I face has less to do with me and everything to do with so many other people that prayerfully God will use me to impact them. 
It says, nobody sinned. This happened, the works of God might be displayed. Verse four, we must, do, we must work the works of him who sent me while his day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now just do me a favor. I've used this before. This is my favorite analogy because you never get to do this in church unless you're preaching. So do me a favor. Close your eyes. Everyone's blind. Go. Close your eyes. Don't be too cool for school. Going, I ain't doing this. Don't be like that. Don't be just a party pooper. Okay. So everyone's blind. You're blind. Then you hear the conversation. Who sinned? This person or his parents? That they're born blind. And she's like, nobody goes through the whole thing. Then you hear this. You hear that? Keep your eyes shut. You're all blind. You never said, hey, if that's Jesus, can you heal me? Jesus never said, hey, watch this. I'm going to heal him. Nothing. That's where the conversation ends. You're just sitting there begging, hoping people are throwing money down. Keep your eyes shut. You're blind. (laughs) Then you feel something a little gooey on your face. Just wipes it right across your eyes. And then he says, go wash your face. Now keep your eyes shut. Keep your eyes shut. This is where we can all be honest. How many of you, by a show of hands, would be a little ticked off that some dude just hocked a looking, made mud, stuck it on your face, put your hands way up. Don't be a bunch of liars. Come on, I'd be mad. Here's the thing. I know it's true. You can open your eyes for just a second. You said, I go, I wouldn't care. Okay, we're going to do it after service. We're just all going to go outside. I'm going to hawk this massive loogie, the one you just heard, because it's got to come out sometime. I'm just going to make some mud. I'm going to put it up on your face and see you go, I love it. This is like a spa treatment. I'd be ticked. I'd be so angry that here's this Jesus. It's not like you sit and go, well, he knew it was Jesus. He knew the reputation. You'll see later on. I don't think he did. It just says that the man he called Jesus. Hawks a loogie, makes mud, sticks it on his face, then says, go wash. Now here's the result. So he wins. Of course you would. And washed. Of course you would. Why? You got some dude's loogie on your face. But watch. And came back seeing. What would you have done? And how hard would you have stared at everything? You would have been excited about everything. You're like, this is water. That's a rock. Come here. Did you see the rock? Wouldn't you sit there and go, buddy, come here. You're okay. Come on. Come on. It's just a rock. (laughs) You need to take a nap. You'd feel like maybe something's going on in their mind. But he's so excited because he has never seen anything. Everything has changed. And he didn't even ask for it. Now, you're supposed to have a celebration after that. Catch this. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. That's kind of arrogant. I'm the man. Okay, so I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Now just a real side note, real quick side note. What's that? That's his testimony. Hey, how'd this happen? This change I see in you, what happened? I was like this before Jesus. Then Jesus stepped in and I've been like this ever since. Isn't that your testimony? That should, shouldn't be able, all of us be able to declare, this is what life was like before Christ. Then Jesus found me. I surrendered. And ever since then, I've been like this. No one can argue with your story. They can't argue with your story. All he does is say, this is what happened. And watch their response. They said, where is he? He says, I don't know. So Jesus does this healing and then just takes off and hides. Just to watch. Grab some popcorn going, this is going to be so fun. I just made a mess. 
This is a mess that he's going to have to go through. Now here he goes. Verse 13. They brought to the, they brought to the Pharisees, do, 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 the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Why is that such a big deal? Because you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Now God's the one who set up the Sabbath. And then the religious leaders felt like making sure that we understood what that meant. So they made all the rules. So here's just a small little example. Ladies, if you have a coat on and say you have a pin or a brooch, Guys, this doesn't apply because I don't know the guys that wear brooches. But so you're wearing this pin. And so then the next day is the Sabbath. Ladies, if you were to take that jacket, forgetting that the pin is on it, and put it on and walk the amount of distance they, that they say you can, but you didn't know it was there, you're breaking the Sabbath because why? You're working. You're carrying something that you shouldn't be carrying. And so they're, they're saying, they're going, okay, this is the Sabbath. He broke the Sabbath. Not God's Sabbath. Their interpretation of what it should look like. Okay, so we'll go on. Verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him, how had he received his sight? And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now watch the response. Some of the Pharisees, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Guys, they were so certain that they were right. Think about it. There's Jesus. As we know, when you read the whole book, Jesus is God in a bod. Okay, so there's Jesus. And they sit there and go, this man is not from God. They sit there and go, well, they were right because he is God. Okay, I'll give him that. But he was saying, there's no way that he could be of God. Why? Because he broke our rules. Can I ask you a question? How many rules have you added on to the truth of scripture trying to think or actually believing in your mind that they are equal to the truth of scripture? So they add on all these rules to what? Keep people, p- keep people controlled. Why? Because that's so much easier. There's no mess in that. If you just make people behave, that's it. But if you look at the purpose of the Sabbath, here's the purpose of the Sabbath. To rest and to trust God. Why? Because you can work seven days a week and you might make extra, but what's the purpose of the Sabbath? You need a break. You need to rest. We weren't created for seven days of work that we need to rest. And guys, I am guilty as charged. I am the worst. I disobey this all the time in the name of ministry. Well, God, this is your work, so you'll provide extra. You'll provide the rest that I need, even though I'm sleeping four hours a night. This is how it works, because I'm doing your stuff. It's my honor to exhaust myself for you this side of heaven. All the while, disobeying what God has said. Hey, take a break. Rest, just take a break. One day, do nothing. And rest. I'm horrible at it. But how many things have I set up on people saying this is what it actually means and I've added these rules or requirements that have nothing to do with God but more preference. Middle of verse 16. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. And there's the crazy thing. The first time, here's this blind guy that could now see. The first time he refers to Jesus as the man. The second time he refers to him as the prophet. Do you see the process? Do you see him trying to figure it out? Because if we just go off of his first declaration of Jesus, he's got really junky theology. The man, he's not the man. He's the God man. And then you get to prophet, he's like, well, you're kind of closer now, but that's still a person. But at least he sees that there's this difference about Jesus. Can you imagine if people were, maybe there was a person who really understood who Jesus was listening to this guy going, ah, get out of here, you heretic. And the whole while, this person is just trying to figure it out. 
He's just trying to figure out, okay, what's true? And who is Jesus? There are actually people in the room that maybe this is your first time in a, in a church ever. And maybe this is the first time in a long time. Why? Because you got offended by one of us. Because maybe we're too quick to look at who it is and what they're saying about Jesus. And if they don't agree with me, heretic, instead of us walking along with each other, discussing, not debating, discussing truth. For what purpose? That we might live according to God's truth and not our opinion. We'll keep going. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. But then John gives this commentary why his parents said that at the end. His parents, verse 22, said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Did you see the problem with that? The Jews had already agreed that if you confess Jesus as the Messiah, which is really true, then throw him out of the synagogue. Think about it. If anyone actually declares truth according to God's idea of truth, kick him out. That should never, ever be our response if people are striving to figure it out. Now, is there a difference between false teachers who are coming and just laying down heresy and saying, this is it, absolutely creating division. Absolutely, we as a church should be confronting that. But if we're just sitting there having conversation and someone disagrees with you on how the end times works, you might be wrong too. All I know is that there's an end time, so at some point, the end will happen. The rest of it, I don't get. If you've ever read Revelation and go, I don't get this, welcome to the club. That's why we're always arguing about it, because we don't really understand it. So isn't it crazy that they're fighting about something that they don't completely understand, and we're really no different. And so what do we do now? That Jesus is God. It's declared in scripture, we're saved by grace through faith. You can only be made righteous because of Jesus. That there are things that are so clear in scripture. When it comes to end times, it comes to these things, it's like, man, there's a lot of different opinion, but this doesn't, this shouldn't create division. We're gonna walk together through this process where we see a person go from seeing Jesus as a man, as a prophet, and maybe even clearer. Verse 24, so the second time they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. You know what they're actually saying? Agree with us. Just tell the truth, which is us. Like, tell us because this is what truth is, so just say we want to hear. We know that this man is a sinner. Oh, crud. They just called God a sinner. And they knew it. Good night. We know that this man is a sinner. So can I bring up, if the Bible always agrees with you, there's a problem. The Bible always agrees with you. There's a problem. We know that this man is a sinner, and yet what they knew, they were so wrong about. So I wrote this in my notes. If, you, if what you know is wrong, it doesn't matter how much of it you know or how passionately you know it, it's still wrong. You should go, well, I'm passionate about it. You're passionately wrong. 
If it's not true, it's wrong. I don't like that. That's, I'm offended. Guys, grab a spine. Find a spine. How are you offended by that? That there's truth and non-truth. There's right and wrong. And so if what you hold to isn't true, then you are holding to something that's wrong. And it doesn't matter how passionate you are about it. It's wrong. And so we continue to approach the scriptures with what? A heart of humility, desiring to be taught, rather than just to tell everybody how wrong they are. It goes on. One thing I do know, he answered verse 25, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. It's like, I don't care if he's a sinner. Would you care, honestly? If you'd been blind all your life, and then they come and go, hey, give glory to God. We know he's a sinner. I think my response would be, I don't care. Then he's my favorite sinner ever. Because the dude just healed me. I mean, this is beautiful. At least, okay, I can see him. I can, if you think he's a sinner, I can see your sinner. That's amazing. Because I've never seen anything before he showed up. Guys, once God does something outside of your comfort zone, we best be careful who we claim him and that work to be. If they had never seen this before, notice they're not comfortable with what it is that God did. They automatically jump to this is not of God. He's a sinner rather than, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Looking for truth rather than thinking that you already own it. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered him, I've told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Now he gets sassy. Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I like this guy. At first he says, oh, okay, 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 this is the story. This is what happened. And all of a sudden they keep asking the same question. He's like, what? Are, what do you want to become his disciples too? He's like getting a little frustrated. I love that. Some sass pops out of this. Okay, the healed blind guy. No, and they reviled him. They said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. There it is. That's religious trash talk at its finest. It's like, we're disciples of Moses. You want to follow him, the sinner? You're a disciple of him. Is that not one of the greatest compliments he could have received? That he's a disciple of God rather than a disciple of a messenger? Uh-oh, dang, we're going to get a little... We're going to get on people's face for just a second. Friends, if you can quote an author or a preacher more than the scriptures, you have an idol. There's your idol. I'm a disciple of this preacher or this pastor or this author. And Jesus at some point might actually ask you, are you still my disciple? Or are you just going to follow the ones I've created? If you have an issue with that, just email bevmoudy at purposechurch.com. <laughs> Verse 29. <laughs> we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. Oh, someone's going to get ready to preach. The blind guy who's on the defensive is now on the offensive. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. Now watch the phrase that he uses. We know... Guys, they've said that twice. We know this is fact. We know this is fact. Then all of a sudden he uses their words. We know, now watch what he says. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Guys, he's just quoting what he would be hearing them preach. 
They'd be using certain Psalms or certain verses in the Old Testament. It's like, okay, the sinner's God, okay, he might turn his ear away from the sinners. This is something that they're teaching. So he's using what it is that, they, what it is that he's heard in Sunday school class. Then verse 32, never since the world began has it been the heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. There's no question here. He's just stating fact. And their response, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. And when you teach us, oh, dang. You were born in utter sin. How dare you lecture us? Oh, man. Some of the hardest lessons I've had to learn are from the people I don't respect. I look at them and I'm like, I don't know that I really like you. So anything that comes out of your mouth must be garbage. I've grown enough, hopefully. I've been in ministry long enough that I can guarantee you there are a lot of people that don't like me after I say certain things. But man, I pray it's true what I'm saying. And we can get along in heaven. But just because I don't like a person doesn't mean that what they're saying in that moment might not be true and straight from God. So they destroy him. You were born in utter sin and you're going to lecture us. You know that's called pride. Think about it. The religious leader's one job was what? Recognize God when he showed up. And they missed him. Who sees him? Watch this. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him. I love that. Here's the thing. Jesus started the mess, walks away, and lets the guy go through it. When he's excommunicated from the group, then Jesus says, and when he found him. I love that. Why? Because Jesus went on the hunt. Jesus went seeking for him. This wasn't a chance meeting. He's like, no, no, I'm going to find him. Isn't it great to know that at some point Jesus found you? If you have a relationship with Jesus, at some point he found you. If you're here and you don't, he is searching for you. Does that change anything? At some point you were found. You did not find him. We weren't looking for him. He found us. He's on the active part of this whole relationship. He found him. And said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He didn't even recognize who Jesus was. He's like, who is he? I'll do it right now. Watch, what, watch how Jesus says. You have seen him. Why is that so huge? Don't you think it meant a lot more for the guy that used to be blind to hear the phrase, you have seen him. To us, it's like, ah, whatever. A guy that's never seen, isn't it great that Jesus knows exactly how to kind of prick our heart just a little bit? And there's this emotional connection now. You have now seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. You want to know who the Son of Man is? You're looking at him. You know, you couldn't see before until I made him a little oogie pie, stuck it on your face, and now you can see. Yeah, you're looking straight at him, and and you're hearing what he's saying to you. Now watch the response. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Do you see the process? First, First reference to Jesus from the blind guy that was healed. The man they called Jesus. The second one, he's gotta be a prophet. The third one, Lord, and worships him. What if... We could be as patient with each other and with, and with people that don't know Jesus yet. What would happen? Just imagine it. What would happen if we were so patient with one another because we're simply walking through the process? What would it look like if we were as patient with each other as we are with the 
one-year-old who takes three steps and we applaud the effort. For those of you who've got God all figured out, you are not to be applauded, you're to be most pitied because your God is as big as your imagination. And that's a problem. May we be as patient with each other along the process. Instead of, instead of declaring to one another or each other as heretics, because we would look at the blind guy and go, what'd you call him, man? Heretic. What'd you call him, prophet? Heretic. What'd you call him, Lord? Okay, you can come in. And isn't it crazy that Jesus went looking after him before he even declared him as Lord? Who do we think we are to be any less patient than God who is so patient with us? Whew. 